Welcome to Exhale Bible Discovery. Each week, we'll take a deep dive into the Bible, going line by line and chapter by chapter to discover the truths that God has for us in His Word. Hello everyone, this is Dr. Paula McDonald with the Exhale Bible Discovery. You guys, we are in Lesson 10 on Chapter 7 of Revelation, and we've studied now the first six seals being opened, and then Chapter 7 comes along and takes a little pause prior to the final seal being opened. It's almost as if the crescendo of the movie is about to occur and therefore a brief pause is necessary to once again confirm and comfort those of us who follow Jesus. And this is the Jesus that I serve. He cares truly about every detail and is always the comforter of our hearts. And I find it no surprise the message of this chapter comes at the number seven chapter 7. We continue to see the importance of this number throughout the book of Revelation, and once again we find a perfect message in chapter 7. So let's get right into this lesson today. I have it in two divisions, sealed for salvation, that goes through Revelation 7, 1 through 8, and then saved by salvation, verses 9 through 17. We left off after the sixth seal was open, and we were given a reprieve now as John is shown the awesome character of Christ and that he is so full of grace and love that he himself desires for us, his sheep, to be comforted, encouraged, and secure in our salvation. And this brief pause provides us with a great message that as his followers, we are safe in his arms. No matter what is going on around us, Jesus has us firmly in his loving grip. And the importance of this break is because God means business. He said that there would be judgment on the world, and indeed it is coming. And those who have chosen to deny and to destroy him will be judged. So verse 1 opens with a beautiful picture of the angels holding back the winds, which is pointing to destruction of the entire earth. And here's what the verse says. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four windows of the earth to prevent any wind from blowing on the land or on the sea or any tree. The symbolism here is referring to the reprieve of the impending destruction of the earth as John is provided with this reminder of God's incredible grace. What's interesting is the mention of four angels standing at the four corners of the earth. The four angels represent the entirety of all the earth. Not one area of the earth will be spared when God gives his go-ahead to these angels. The winds of the earth are certainly referring to the great destruction that will ensue. So then in verse 2, Then I saw another angel coming up from the east, having the seal of the living God. He called out in a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the land and the sea. And the key word here is the word seal. This next verse begins with the narrative of the promise that God's people are secure 
in his promises. A seal was an important part of a king or ruler's documents. This royal seal meant that whatever was sealed with his crest was true and right. The seal also signified ownership by the king. Therefore, God's seal for us, his believers, means we too are owned by the only true king, Jesus Christ. The angels coming from the east could be in reference to a verse we find from Ezekiel 43, 2-4. And I saw the glory of God of Israel coming from the east. The eastern gate of the temple was important. When Jesus entered Jerusalem in 30 AD, he did so after coming down from the Mount of Olives, according to Luke 19, 28-48, arriving via the eastern gate. This gate has been referred to as the Golden Gate. The gate was also interestingly, sealed up in the 16th century by Muslims who believed this would prevent the Messiah from returning here as quoted in scripture. Ezekiel 44, 2-3 foretold that this gate would be sealed up and shut, that no one may enter it. Only the Lord himself may enter this gate again. How perfect that God used his enemies to shut the gate for us so that it would remain closed awaiting the return of his son. Regarding the seal of his people, well, there are many references throughout scripture of sealing of God's people. The Israelites were told to mark or seal their doorposts with the blood of the sacrificial lamb in order to protect them from the angel of death. Ephesians 1, 13, 14 says, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal. The promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possessions, to the praise of His glory. Well, this dramatic pause prior to the final seal being opened is provided to you who are in Christ to be reassured of your own seal in Him. Isn't that just like our perfect God? He takes a moment to remind you and I that we are safely in his bosom, no matter what happens. This is the Lord that we serve. Okay, going along in verse three, do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. And here's yet another promise from God that his people are sealed in him. God is in control and he alone gives the command in his own time. Again, we serve a patient God who awaits for the full number to come to him. This is his decision. And as believers, we too must also be patient with the understanding that he is calling many to come to him before he unleashes all hell on earth. Verse 4, Then I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000, from all the tribes of Israel. Verses 5 through 8 then lists the 12 tribes mentioned. We don't need to get caught up that the number 144,000 doesn't necessarily mean this exact number, but it could because, you know, God is in control. But it's really a reference to the completed work of Christ. God finishes what he has started, and this verse tells us that he knows the names of those people who are and will be sealed. This perfect completeness includes all who believe in Christ. An important thing to note regarding the list of the 12 tribes of Israel here in the Revelation 7 is the fact 
that this list appears nowhere else in the Bible because it has some irregularities. It names Judah first, which is different from how the Old Testament listed them. The name Dan is left off while the name of Joseph is listed rather than Ephraim. Many believe this was because John was intentional in this to designate the Israel mentioned here is not the literal Israel, but now pointing to the church of completeness in Christ. Lots of good schools of thought as to why Dan and Ephraim are now replaced with Levi and Joseph. Lots of varying thoughts, but perhaps one line of thought has to draw our attention to the time of Judges to illustrate that Israel is once again guilty of apostasy as it was during the Judges under Dan and Ephraim. And once again, the Lord will bring Israel a king from Bethlehem to rescue Israel from its apostasy, and that is Jesus Christ. By excluding these two tribes, the Lord is emphasizing that the third part of the story is right around the corner. And the tribe of Dan could have been left out due to the following things. One, he had difficulty in taking possession of their territory. That's found in Joshua 19.47. Secondly, ephod and other household gods carved image and cast idols, Judges 18.1. They attacked and overcame a peaceful and unsuspecting people, Judges 18.27. And then they set up idols and their own priests in their new city, Judges 18.30-31. God clearly will not tolerate idols, and interestingly, taking possession of their territory can easily point to the meaning of God's people refusing to allow him to rule in every part of their life or their territory. God requires that he is in every part of our lives. Is he the rule over all of your territory? Are you worshiping false idols such as money, fame, position, your time, your talents, rather than on him? These are serious questions that we must consider as we question why these tribes were no longer mentioned in this list here in Revelation 7. As for Ephraim, he was Joseph's son. Psalm 78, 9-17 may give us just a clue to why his line was left out. Number one, they turned back on the day of the battle and they did not keep God's covenant. Number two, they forgot the wonders God had shown them. Three, they continued to sin against God. And then four, and this is found from Hosea 5.11, they too were intent on pursuing idols. So turning one's back on the Lord God always has negative consequences. And additionally, putting anything ahead of God as an idol has dire consequences. Maybe this is what happened to Dan and Ephraim. And it certainly gives each of us a pause to assess what is going on in our personal lives. So this section is clear. God has promised those who believe in his son will be sealed and saved. And this should place a burning desire in each of our hearts to carry the message of salvation to those who are lost, who aren't included in that seal. We need to tell them that God loves them and desires for them to be included in his kingdom. So your truth bomb is this. As a believer in Christ, you are sealed for salvation. And your call to action, who is God impressing upon you to tell them about Christ? What actions will you do today to bring this message to them? Okay, we're going into the second section, Saved 
by salvation. These are verses 9 through 17. And so this next division focuses on the proclamation, the praise, and the promises of God for those who call him Father. Here in the next verses, we are given the best news of all, that we will be included in this multitude of white robes as we worship the King of Kings. And so they sing three prayers to the Almighty, and each one gives us a template for today. Number one, we are to proclaim to whom we worship. Two, we are to praise Him. And three, we are to thank Him for His promises. So let's look at verse 9. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. The great multitude that no one could count means every believer, past and present. So many that it was incomprehensible to John when he saw this vision. What a beautiful sight indeed. And imagine how glorious this will be to be a part of. Every tribe, people, and language confirms that all who proclaim their faith in Christ are a part of this multitude, as we discussed with the reference to the 144,000. All believers are grafted into Christ. The New Testament tells us clearly how we're grafted in. Romans 11:16 If the first fruit is holy then the tree is also holy and if the root is holy so are the branches because Jesus is holy we are also holy because his life essence flows through us friends we are holy because of Christ and then in 2 Corinthians 5:17 therefore if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. We are new in him. The old is done with, and we must let go of our old ways, let go of those past guilts, and focus on the newness of Christ. And then John 15, 4, Abide in me, and I will abide in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. We cannot bear fruit by ourselves. It is our abiding in him that causes him to bear fruit in us. You guys, we need Christ. We cannot do his will and his work without him guiding us through the Holy Spirit. So the part about standing before the throne and we've already had a beautiful glimpse into the throne room and the throne itself. Here, we have the multitudes standing before his throne, wearing their white robes of salvation and waving palm branches to Christ. Oh my gosh, you guys, it's such a beautiful, beautiful picture of these multitudes in their white robes, all clean and just worshiping Christ. And you know that those palm branches were used as Jesus came in in his triumphal entry and those palm branches were laid before him. Such a beautiful, beautiful symbolism of utter worship of him. Then verse 10 leads us into the first template, what I call, of the proclamation of Christ. And they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And so to cry out in a loud voice means a full-on, sold-out, all-encompassing passion to Christ. There is no holding back regarding to whom 
they are proclaiming as their savior. And then in verses 11 and 12, we find the second part of this template, the praise to Christ. Here's what the verse says. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell down on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And we've already seen this falling down before the throne several times now in Revelation. So this obviously shows us the importance of the throne and the effect that he has on us when we are before him. There is simply no way come before him half-heartedly. Here we see seven references of worship to the king. And we saw this again in chapter five, seven things. So cool. As I looked into these two lists of words, several things rocked my world. First, I want you to notice the similarity of the verse numbers, Revelation 5 verses 11 through 12. And now here again, Revelation 7 verses 11 through 12. Secondly, exactly seven words of proclamation with a slight varying of order. And thirdly, the two words that differ from the list are the words thanks and wealth. So if you put these words, and I had to make a chart, but these two words, thanks and wealth, can refer to the same attribute of being thankful for the wealth that Christ brings to our lives. It's not wealth of money. It's just wealth of the Holy Spirit and the gifts that we have from him. And as we study his word over and over again, his perfection in all of the details is astounding. And so as we praise and worship Almighty God, we should remember to thank him and praise him for these attributes of his that he bestows upon each of us. Y'all, these are precious gifts that he imparts to us. Praise, glory, wisdom, thanks, honor, power, and strength. So beautiful. Now we go into verses 13 through 14. Then one of the elders asked me, these in white robes, who are they? And where did they come from? And I answered, sir, you know. And he said, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. And here in these verses, a question is asked and then answered as to who these people are in the white robes. And the answer tells us, those who came out of the great tribulation. And this is where we must take a step back to fully understand this verse. We know that when sin entered the world, there has been much tribulation. When Christ came to earth and suffered and died for our sins, Christians have suffered persecution and much tribulation since he died. And we know that there has been much tribulation of believers and this pause right here in this chapter seven, before the opening of the seventh seal, lets us know that there's much more tribulation coming in the end times. And as these verses confirm, verse 14 tells us that those who have been washed in the blood of the lamb are those who have placed their faith in Christ. And because of this amazing truth, now we're given the third part of the template, which is a beautiful promise in verses 15 through 17. Therefore, and remember, therefore means it's there for a reason, so pay attention. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. 
The sun will not beat down on them nor any scorching heat, for the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eye. What a beautiful promise. And look at this, you guys. I counted the seven things in that verse. Seven things that we are promised. He never ceases to amaze me. Number one, he says, he will shelter us with his presence. We saw that in Psalm 27, 5. Two, never again will we hunger or thirst. And you can go to Psalm 63, 1 through 5 to see that. Number three, the sun will not beat down on us. Psalm 121, 6. Four, we will not be scorched with heat. 1 Corinthians 3.15 5. He will be our shepherd. Psalm 23. 6. He will lead us to living water. John 4.10 And then 7. He will wipe away every tear. Isaiah 25.8 How can we ever live in fear if we truly believe in these promises of God? This pause ends on the crescendo of his great promises. And Christians who fear the end times, fear the book of Revelation, most likely have not taken time to really read and absorb chapter 7. If we are who we say in Christ, we are not to fear. Because remember, fear is not of God. Fear is from the enemy who desires to steal your joy. Recognize from whom your fear comes from. Rebuke these fears out loud. In the name of Jesus, Satan, your fear has no hold upon my life. Say that out loud. You guys, we have an everlasting life in the presence of God to look forward to. And we will not experience anything but love, peace, and happiness with him. Therefore, why would you spend one second fretting about the end times when you have been promised these seven truths. Go back and reread them. And so your truth bomb is this. God has clearly provided his believers with the proclamation, the praise, and the promises of who he is. And your call to action, are you secure in your faith that you know without a shadow of a doubt of his promises to you? And if not, go to him right now and get this straight with him. There is no need to remain in a space of fear or spend any more of your precious energy on the fear, which is not from the Almighty. So your summary, oh my goodness, y'all, how beautiful chapter 7 is for us believers. He includes all of us who put our faith in Christ, and he promises us that he will be our protector through it all. So your summary sentence is this, in Christ, we receive the promise of his secure salvation. Let's close in prayer. Father God, thank you so much for your beautiful word, for how you've woven it perfectly together, how you gave us this beautiful pause between the sixth and the seventh seal. Guide us and continue to show us your beautiful words and to cause us to see you throughout it and to see joy rather than fear. For it is in Jesus' beautiful and holy name we pray. Amen. 
Be sure to visit my website, drpaulamcdonald.com, click on podcast, and then exhale Bible discovery for self-study guides and resources to support you with each episode. 